In dressing for the mission, first you put on thermal underwear, and then an electric flying suit, which was a four-part uniform consisting of a jacket, pants, socks, and gloves. Snap fasteners would join them together. Your regular flying suit went over that, followed by your heavy flying boots and heavy gloves. Then would come your flak jacket, and finally your Mae West jacket. I never could find a good place to strap on the forty-five caliber pistol. We wore a leather helmet, and a steel helmet like the ground forces wore. The pilots had to wear a backpack parachute over all that. Much of the time we would be subjected to temperatures of fifty to sixty degrees below zero for many hours. As a result, any skin exposed to the air would be frostbitten in a short time. Many of the gunners and other crew members would carry pieces of steel plate to sit on during times we were exposed to any aircraft fire. They did not want a piece of flak to come from below and strike them in the rear. In addition to that, many would carry Bibles or other items, such as good luck charms. After getting dressed, we boarded trucks that carried us to our plane. The rest of the crew was already doing their pre-flight checks. It was dark that morning, and the air was damp. The rain had stopped, and fortunately the fog had lifted. I was riding on this first mission as co-pilot in the lead plane for the squadron. I assume every crew member had a certain amount of anxiety and fear over what might happen. I had plenty because it was my first mission. Although I had imagined what it might be like, you never know exactly what to expect. I had never met any of the crew members before, and I was not sure they were thrilled to see a rookie co-pilot. After each crew member had completed his pre-flight check, we gathered in front of the left wing and made sure everything was ready for the mission. It was about 4.30 a.m. and still dark. The breakfast I had eaten two hours ago was in the same place it was when I got through eating. Just too much excitement to digest. We spent the last few minutes before boarding the plane shooting the bull. A few jokes, a little laughter, and a few brags from the gunners about how many planes they would shoot down if the German Air Force was to challenge us today. This crew had completed several missions, so I considered them veterans. I soon found out that one mission made you a veteran. After we settled into our positions on the plane, we started the long checklist in preparation for starting the engines. The crew chief would stand behind the pilot and co-pilot during the rundown on the checklist, and would help get the engines started. Everything was done by the clock from now on. We would start our engines precisely at the designated time, which was 4.45 a.m. Engines were started in a special order. The engines were numbered 1 through 4, starting with the outboard engine on the left. Engine 3 was always started first, because it had the only hydraulic pumps on it. Also, by starting the inboard engine on each side first, it would allow the crew chief to stand close to the engine being started with the fire extinguisher, and would not expose him to the possibility of walking through or toward a moving propeller. After number three was started and running smoothly, the co-pilot would then go through the same procedure in starting number four. After it was started and running smoothly, number two engine would be started, and then number one. After all the engines had warmed up, the instruments would have to be checked to see that the hydraulic, vacuum, and other pressures were within the required limits. There were many other things that had to be tested and checked before taxiing out for takeoff. At a precise time, we would move out, and as we would pass other parked planes, they would follow us to the end of the runway in exact order. The line of planes would move up as each plane took off at 30-second intervals. As we got close to the end of the runway, we would run up each engine separately to check that everything was operating properly. Then we would lower the flaps, close the cow flaps, set the prop pitch, and be ready to move out onto the runway as soon as the plane in front of us had started his takeoff. The flight engineer would usually sit at the top forward hatch during the time we were taxiing to watch the engines and give any necessary directions the pilots needed. After the plane in front of us released its brakes and started rolling down the runway, we prepared for our turn. We started moving the throttles forward and the engines responded with a loud roar. After the throttles were pushed full forward and the engines were at full power, we released the brakes and the plane started rolling down the dark runway. We were taking off with a full load of bombs and gas, which meant we would use almost all the runway. I started calling off the airspeed as we picked up momentum. The red runway lights marking the end of the runway were getting closer and closer when finally we lifted off. 
Soon the bumping and vibration began to disappear until a quiet, smooth feel indicated we were airborne. The lead squadron formed, then the high squadron, and finally the low squadron. Each ship had a specific place in the formation. We passed through four layers of clouds before we reached the assembly altitude. I could now understand why it was important for a new pilot to fly as co-pilot the first mission, because there was so much you had to know and so many things to remember. At this point, I wondered if I could remember all the things and still fly the plane. How the planning of the mission and the execution were ever accomplished is remarkable. That they were able to select the targets and work out the details as fast as they did was unbelievable.